Hello! Welcome to the next episode of the Stuff Meeting Podcast, where we talk about all the stuff. All the time. There we go. I've been looking forward to this all week, boys. Um, very special episode uh, for me today. And maybe an episode where we don't talk about all the stuff, but rather some more specific stuff. Um, but hopefully stuff that you'll find uh, very interesting, maybe a side of life that you maybe not have considered before. And hopefully it'll open up your mind to some new ideas. Um, yes, because we have a guest with us, Phil, don't we? Are you okay, Phil? Sorry, I didn't ask you. All right. I'm, I'm fine. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for asking. Thanks for your no, concern. Are you okay? Oh, yes. Thank you very well. Uh, glad to be in the ears of our listeners right now. As always. Um, as always. Yes, a pleasure, a privilege to be welcomed in. In a week in which the world in the UK has begun to open again, hugs are allowed. Of course, following the BBC's five-step procedure to a safe hug. Cautious um, hug. Yeah, cautious hug, cautious hug. Um, pubs, we can go inside at the moment now. And it's all, it's all getting quite exciting. This, of course, I've just said this, of course, might be news to our listener because today, for the first time, very exciting on the Stephanie podcast, we're going international. We're going international today. We have had people who have come from other countries who now live in the UK come on and speak with us. But today we've got we've got one who lives in another country full stop. So we'll pass the the mic. We even had to sync up our times, didn't we? So that this could work. So very exciting. Uh, So we'll pass the mic over to you, Caleb, to introduce yourself, if that's okay. Hey, guys, I'm grateful to be here. Uh, My name is Caleb. Um, I'm an American, you can probably tell from the accent. Um, And yeah, uh, I am a former Mormon. Whoa. Former. Yeah. Interesting. Former. Straight in. Great. Also, just, just to distinguish, this is not the same American Caleb who we've had on. Just turns yes. out everyone in America is called Caleb who we speak with. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, Caleb, whereabouts in America uh, are you, broadly, for us Brits? Yes, I live in Utah. Ah. Um, specifically, uh, I'm about an hour and a half away uh from las vegas so okay great and an hour and a half for you guys is very very close right indeed it is yeah that's <laughs> down the, that is down the road not across the country um super are you born and raised in utah you are? i was yeah born and raised in utah great. um grown up here my entire life haven't yeah. lived anywhere else besides uh-huh. england for a year Oh, great. <laughs> Look forward to getting into that. Yeah. And uh, what do you do at the moment, kind of during during your week, nine to five? What are you up to? Yeah. So uh, mainly uh, most of my time, I, I work part time. So I'm mm-hmm. a pharmacy technician. I work in pharmacy. Cool. Um, the other part of my uh, day is spent, uh, I'm still at university, so doing research and writing. And I have a wife and I have a daughter. So my other uh, time is spent doing that. <laughs> there we go. Amazing. Amazing. Fabulous stuff. Well, Phil, what do we normally kick off with? We usually kick off, Caleb, with explaining something we've changed our mind about. So anything that you had a previous belief about or you previously thought that you no longer have a 
think the same about. So just kind of suddenly change your mind about and why. That's usually what we kick off with. And we usually come to our guest first, which makes perfect sense to come to you, Caleb, if that's okay. That's great. So um, as in my introduction, I'm a former Mormon. That's kind of what I thought would be the most interesting to talk about right now. Mm. Um, so for all of our listeners in the UK who don't know what uh, Mormonism is or just have a passing or heard a passing reference to it, I thought it would be uh, prudent to uh, give a history, mm-hmm. a brief uh, history and a, a summarization of what uh, Mormons kind of believe. So Mormonism is a, an American-based religion. Uh, it was founded in America uh, during the early 19th century. Um, in the 1820s, the main figure of Mormonism, <clears throat> his name was Joseph Smith. He lived in New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he was a young man, he was involved in uh, treasure digging and magic and that kind of thing. It was very common at that time. And uh, during this time when he was a young boy or a teenager, he uh, claimed that he had visions from an angel. And this angel, um, he called him Moroni. And this angel in his past life, uh, something that kind of might be unique to Mormons, they actually believe angels are humans, either resurrected humans or um, they're uh, pre-earth life humans. So they believe humans existed. before our birth um so joseph smith claimed this angel was a a human a native american uh who wrote a record or who preserved a record of his people that he wrote on gold plates and that he buried by his house okay so um this angel told him that god sent him to dig up this record and he was going to uh reveal new things to him and a new scripture like the Bible. Uh It's important to give this some context. Uh, During this time, uh, most Americans uh, during this, uh, not most, but a a good amount of Americans kind of looked at the churches, either the Catholic church or various Protestant churches. And they thought they were corruptions of a more primitive and pristine Christianity. And they wanted to get back to that more primitive Christianity. Um, so this is very common. And so a lot of them would either say, we're going to get rid of these traditions. We're just going to stick with the New Testament, look at it and live that kind of view. And uh, Joseph Smith was vastly uh, influenced by this. And he believed that God called him to be a new prophet, just like in the Old Testament, New Testament times, and that he was going to give him authority to restore the early Christian church and to restore apostles um, and prophets and and they would speak to God and God would give them new scripture and revelation. And so right. um, this is uh, what Joseph Smith kind of started off on. He, he uh, supposedly dug up these golden plates and then he used a, a stone that he found in a well that he believed had magic properties. And he was able to translate um, mm-hmm. this, uh, gold, these golden tablets into what is the Book of Mormon, the central kind of book in Mormonism. Okay. Hang on. I thought, I thought the um, Bible was the central book. 
It's one of them. So Mormons are going to have multiple different scriptures. They have four set or yes, I'd say four sets of scripture right now. So they have the Bible, which is the Old Uh and New Testament. They have the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. They have what's called the Doctrine and Covenants, which are the revelations of Joseph Smith that he received throughout his uh, career. And um, some other ones from other some of his other successors. Okay. And then there's a fourth one where uh, they found uh, an Egyptian papyrus that was uh, touring through his uh, city that he was in. And he bought these papyrus and he claimed that they were uh, written by Abraham. And he supposedly translated them and that became it's called the Book of Abraham. And so that fits a section where some other revelations um, called the Pearl of Great Price. So they have four unique kind of and so from so you said so far the book of mormon is uh in its current translation is translated from gold plates that joseph smith found guided by an angel yes and he translated okay great yes he trans he translated them that's kind of where this all kind of kicked off this is the start of his uh career okay so um uh Basically, I'm not going to go too much into it, but the Book of Mormon is uh, basically this history of these uh, of these American people. Um, it starts off with in Jerusalem, just before the fall, before the Babylonians conquered it okay. and took the Jews into captivity. Uh, this this prophet there named Lehi and his family and some other families leave and they sail the ocean across to America and they. Uh, build a civilization there that becomes this huge civilization and they split off of the multiple people groups. Um, the two main being the Nephites and the Lamanites. Um, eventually, uh, these, there's some, there's some, uh, there's a high moment in the book of Mormon where Jesus after his resurrection appears to these people and comes to them. Um, and then about 500 years after that, uh, they, there's this huge war between the Lamanites and the Nephites, and the, the Lamanites basically kill all the Nephites. They genocide them, or <laughs> whatever term you want to use. Right. And um, Moroni is the last Nephite, and he takes the record of his people and of this time, and he buries it, and then he dies, and he becomes an angel who appears to Joseph Smith. Um, so uh, after he he gets this book, he goes out and he publishes it and he starts uh, claiming to be a prophet. And then in 1830, he founded his church. Um, it's also known by the title, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay. So you'll see that. Yeah. Come up. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. Uh, over time, he, uh, or throughout his career, um, his people would kind of, he, gathered a following that became thousands and thousands of people. And he would move around the United States. He's moving westward. He, they settled in Ohio for a time, uh, came over to Missouri. There was a huge conflict there with the people already living there. And they left Missouri. Um, he was in prison there for a while over that. And then they eventually settled in Illinois and they founded their own city called Nauvoo. And it was there that he, um, uh, came up with a lot of his more controversial revelations. Right. Um, so two of them that I kind of want to briefly mention. Uh, one of them was uh, 
um, throughout his life, uh, the Mormon view of God. Um, in the in the beginning, it was pretty close to the Christian um, view, where you have three persons: the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, who are one God. Okay. Um, there was a little bit of confusion there. Uh, that uh, weren't as precise on it. But over time, Joseph Smith uh, separated these persons into three distinct gods who um, had bought, well, not the Holy Ghost, but the Father and the Son had bodies of flesh and bone that were resurrected. And then later on, just before he died, he taught that um, God the Father was a man, just like us or just like Jesus isn't clear, whether he was someone like Jesus who came to another world and died for that world or whether he was just a regular man like us. And so there's this kind of doctrine they taught of evolution where uh, mankind starts off as an intelligence, like a spirit, and then they later get a body. And then when they get a body, they can then go become a God. Right. So, so, we, could, so we could become like a Mormon could yeah. become a God in another planet. Yeah. And then that's kind of where that teaching comes from, that you get your own kind you can make your own universe. You start your own universe and then you have your own kind of spirit children and they get their own bodies. And it's kind of the cycle that view started with him. He didn't fully develop there, but he did get that idea that um, God was once a man like us and that he um, anyway. So sorry, where is he now? Where is God? Is he is he on the planet? I don't know. Is he still? Yeah. So in Mormon view, God is a material being. He's not immaterial. Um, So he's all material. He doesn't like we would say uh, that, um, you know, our bodies are uh, we have a physical body, but we have an immaterial soul. And yeah, I think. Yeah. So that's kind of what the basic Christian belief is. Well, Mormons actually will say that the soul because they believe in a soul, they believe in a spirit, but that's actually material, kind of like a. If you can imagine a vapor of sort, like a right, yeah. So that's kind of what they would say. Spirit is it's invisible; you can't see it, but it is material. So God isn't very much a material being in their view, okay. and so yes, he does. He does dwell on a on a planet. Hmm. Um, What's that called? Uh, they actually even say they have the name of the star that the planet goes around. They call it Kolob. So that's kind of a little interesting. Oh, Kolob. Hmm. Yeah, Kolob. Un- yeah. What's that backwards? <laughs> <laughs> Just a thought. Bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, outrageous. So with with um can I just, so if this world, so the universe, I'm guessing as well, uh-huh. created by uh the god of this universe, say, are there other gods and other universes? Is it just one? Do they kind of overlap each other, or is that more of a gray? So there's a lot of unclarity there. Um so some would say that, like, yeah, there's there's multiple dimensions of universes that each God controls. They have their own little universe. Um, but there is also the idea that they can interact with each other. And then there's uh, another view which says that there's, yeah, there's only one universe, but it's so massive. And then I would assume that multiple galaxies or whatever are controlled by one, you know. Okay. Something like that, something along those lines. There's some confusion there. Um, Mormons, uh, a lot of times people kind of hear this view at first and they're like, well, that doesn't sound anything like the Bible. The Bible says there's only one God. Mm. Um, There's none beside him, none before him. Um, 
what the heck? Why are there all these multiple gods? Uh, Mormons tend to say they're apologetic in response to that is, well, there's only one God for us, one God for us. Right. That God. We worship and that we follow. And so those other gods, we don't have anything to do with them. They're not a part of us. And so, yeah, I was just about to ask, it sounds so it's a polytheistic religion. There's more than one yes. God in Mormonism, because I think you, you did touch on this, you know, earlier, I think. But when I have spoken with Mormons in the past on the street and you kind of get an initial discussion, there seems to be a lot of common ground between Christianity and Mormonism. It seems that there's one God, there's, there's, there's God, there's Jesus, there's a reverence for the Bible. So it seems like they're very similar in lots of ways. But that is a massive difference if. In, in a number of ways, I guess you could argue Christianity is some is more similar maybe to Islam in terms of there being one God than Mormonism, where there's a number. So that's that's a massive difference, isn't it? Yeah, you, that is interesting. I don't want to go too far down this tangent, but there is actually some interesting parallels between Mormonism and Islam as well. Um, and I'll go into the other part that was kind of one thing of this theology I wanted to go to the other one I wanted to kind of go into and this is what led to his ultimate death was polygamy and so just like uh Muslims they they do have a view of that polygamy is listed and okay and they also um an angel visited Muhammad and then he revealed to him the Quran so it's, there's an interesting parallel there where an angel visited Joseph Smith and through that uh, he brought about the Book of Mormon so a unique set of scriptures to that mm. faith tradition so um, but yes, uh, when it comes to monotheism, Christianity is uh, much closer in many respects to Islam in the view that there is ultimately one God. Mormonism would deny that. They would say that, uh, yeah, there are multiple gods. We worship one and they vary in power and glory. That's what they would say. Something right. like that. And from what you've said so far, Kim, it doesn't sound like, you know, you've not been... Um, I don't think dismissive is the word, but it sounds pretty by the numbers in terms of just what Mormon belief in theology is. Would if another Mormon was kind of here with us now talking, mm -hmm. would they disagree with anything that you've said in terms of how you've explained it? Or is that everything you've said is pretty much accepted Mormon belief and doctrine? So I'm trying to be. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to represent them how they would represent themselves, but also not be coy with it, if that makes right. sense. Because yeah. a lot yeah. of times um, you do want if you, you invite the missionaries over, you invite someone and they know that you're an outsider. So you don't know much. They 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 tend to recognize that these are these beliefs make other people uncomfortable and are going to they're going to be more prone to reject their message when they hear this. And so they when you ask them about it, they tend to say, oh, well, that's not something we really know much about or. Um, some will even go as far to say that's not like official doctrine. It's just speculation right. or something along those lines. Um, there are other Mormons, though, that will openly talk to you about it and argue with you even about it. <laughs> so there's a, a good variety there. But if you talk to the vast majority of them, they tend to not want to talk about it with you. If you're an outsider, if you're an insider. Um, there's yeah, they get into fascinating discussions on it. Uh, most every one of them believes in that view. If you talk, I don't know what, okay. any Mormons I, that I've talked to that would reject it. <laughs> yeah. so, Great. Yeah. Cool. So your second thing, um, I just mentioned polygamy, Joseph Smith. Yes. 
Um, so one of the broad ideas of Joseph Smith is this idea of restoration. So he's, he's restoring in his mind, the early Christian church. Right. And he actually takes it further. He thinks that he needs to restore some of the old Testament ideas. So one of these ideas is uh, polygamy. So he reads in the old Testament that many of the patriarchs and uh, early uh, old Testament fathers that they practice polygamy. So he reads this, and uh, if, if you talk to the average Mormon, the way they kind of put it is uh, he asked God, and then God told him that he was to restore polygamy. Right. Now, uh, <laughs> this is uh, very controversial, uh, especially when he had this, and uh, there's evidence that he practiced it as early, I want to say it's 1836, so about five to six years after he started the Mormon church, um, that he practiced polygamy that he started it, uh, there was an affair he had with um, one of his uh, nannies, I think, or one of the house, someone who worked for him in his house, hmm. um, that led to one of his apostles leaving over it. I mean, he later rejoined, but there was a fallout over that. Um, so anyway, he, he had this revelation. He said that he started practicing polygamy. Um, this was kept very secret, though. He only let his inner circle know about it. Um, most of the church didn't know that. In fact, he had documents and even a section in the Doctrine and Covenants that has been taken out. For, uh, the next prophet after him of the Mormon church took it out. Right. Or it might have been the one after him. But there's was, was a section in there. It's the old section 101, is what it's called, which denied that uh, Mormons or Latter-day Saints practice polygamy. They are monogamous, is what it said. And that was kept in there. Uh, for quite some time until they finally took it out. Right. Um, and he, uh, in public, openly rejected that he practiced polygamy, although in private he did. Um, and he had various revelations on this. This was uh, very unpopular with his wife. <laughs> you <laughs> could probably imagine. Yep. Um, uh, and it's, it could argue is what led to his death. Um, just before he died, uh, a bunch of uh, uh, kind of dissidents that were part of his movement, but became dissatisfied with it over various doctrines, including this idea that God was once a man um, and polygamy is the main, but polygamy is probably the main one. They started a newspaper in Nauvoo called the Nauvoo Expositor and it only published one issue. And in this issue, it uh, critiqued and uh, tried to expose Joseph Smith and his polygamy. And Joseph Smith, he, um, him and his movement founded this town, Nauvoo, and he was the mayor. And it had its own uh, legion, its own kind of military, elite, uh, Nauvoo Legion, that's what it was called, and the city council. And after this uh, newspaper was published, um, he declared that the newspaper should be destroyed. So he, him and the city council ordered it to be destroyed. And so they marched down to the where this uh, print, uh, the newspaper, the printer was, and they destroyed it. And they burned as many copy, copies of the Nauvoo Expositor as he could. Um, but, and this is probably led to his death because a bunch of the towns outside Illinois, or, or in Illinois, but outside of uh, Nauvoo, uh, Joseph Smith and the Mormons were very unpopular. And when they found this out, this, this fueled a huge fire at the time, and it led to the uh, governor of Nauvoo uh, sending out arrest warrants for Joseph Smith and saying he had to stand trial. And so they arrested him, 
um, Joseph Smith uh, went to prison with his brother and a couple other uh, Mormon leaders. Um, but a mob, before he could go to trial, a mob formed around the prison and went inside and shot him and his brother and killed them. And so right. Right. Uh, this led. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, just catch in. Yeah. Oh, um, so uh, this led to a succession crisis in Mormonism. Uh, they didn't know what to do. They were very unpopular in Illinois. Um, one of the leaders who was an apostle, they had, they have a, uh, they have, anyway, he, uh, he claimed that he was to be the next prophet, but uh, Joseph Smith's wife claimed that her son, the son of Joseph Smith was to be the next prophet. Um, so they had a falling out there. Uh, the vast majority of Mormons at that time uh, went with Brigham Young, and they uh, moved out west to Utah, and they settled there. Um, a minority of them stayed in Nauvoo and uh, um, stay, uh, were led by Joseph Smith's son. And so there, that's kind of where you have that first kind of break off in Mormonism. Right now, the vast majority of Mormons are, um, descent, are part of the church Brigham Young um, founded, in a way you could say that movement that followed him. And then the, a minority of them stayed with Joseph Smith and that minority influenced by Emma Smith. They don't practice polygamy. They tend to reject kind of his more God was once a man theology, but they'll accept the book of Mormon. And that's a very small minority. Not very many people follow that. I think they're only in the maybe a hundred thousand. Um, they're still over in Illinois. Um, but the vast majority of Mormons came over to Utah and they settled Salt Lake city they settled that area. And um, that's when they started practicing polygamy out in the open right. under Brigham Young. Um, after he died, a couple of leaders that were prophets, they kept the practice going. Um, but Utah came into conflict with the U.S. government because in the United States, it's illegal. Polygamy is illegal. Yeah. And so they were wanting to become a state. They were a territory at the time. Uh, but they kept being rejected. And there was some... Uh, there was a huge kind of falling out there. Um, there were a lot of rumors and ideas that the United States was going to actually invade Utah and kind of force them to stop this. Yeah, right. So uh, just before the turn of the 20th century, the, the, the Mormon prophet there perceived a revelation supposedly and ended polygamy, at least on earth. They still believe it can mm -hmm. continue in heaven. Right. Um, and so Mormons, uh, the vast majority of them, uh, of the Brigham Young sect, which is the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, the ones that you'll most likely run into, the ones wearing the name tags and the suits, mm -hmm. um, those ones, they don't practice polygamy, contrary to popular views. They don't. Mm -hmm. They used to. They don't. There is a small minority of them, though, that did break off. And I actually live about 20, 30 minutes away from their city. Mm. where they still practice polygamy and they still dress up in a 19th century kind of, they look like Amish people. So. Oh, wow. no way. And they practice yeah. polygamy now? They still practice polygamy, yes. Um, the way they do it, they don't get married in government. They just, yeah. they're just girlfriends. So. <laughs> wow. Right. Okay. Wow. Just, just sorry, um, okay, just trying to understand this. So I'm getting the sense, and maybe wrong, that, whoever the named prophet is can make some pretty serious changes to the belief. So you mentioned one of the prophets removed sections of the, the book of Mormon, I think was all yes. the doctrine of covenants. And then they had a revelation and changed. And I don't mean this in a 
a patronizing or kind of mean spirit right. they just change yeah. their mind but i'm getting the sense that whoever the prophet is can seriously change mormon doctrine depending on revelations they say they've received yes this is true um it's it's a little controversial uh some mormons will say doctrine doesn't change um but yes so they have a very strong view of the mormon prophet they believe that the mormon prophet can he speak to god um a lot of there's it's it's very popular amongst uh the laity most most normal mormons they talk to they they will believe if you ask them that th that god actually appears to them like literally physically appears to them and talks to their prophets so they have a really strong view of prophets and they have a strong view that scripture can still be written down now it can still be edited in Joseph Smith's lifetime, he took the Bible and he edited it. And it's called the Joseph Smith translation. He changed passages, tried to make them more clear, fit his ideas. And uh, he received revelations. He even believed that he could receive old writings that were lost by revelation. So he believed that Moses wrote down this, this uh, document that was lost that he revealed. And they call it the, the book of Moses, I think. So that's a Mormon scripture. And so right. they have a very strong view of prophets. Wow. Right. Great. Okay. So got a bit of better understanding about where it's kind of uh, sprouted from Mormonism. Mm -hmm. And then you've given us a bit of info about kind of two specific things, about kind of the, uh, the number of gods that are kind of, say the worship but seems to be and then also a bit about polygamy okay great thanks so what how um maybe you could tell us a bit about how you ended up starting to consider these ideas uh in a different way um yeah yeah so really what it was is um i grew up in utah so i grew up uh i'm descended from these early mormons so uh, my ancestors followed Brigham Young across mm -hmm. um, on my mom's side, my dad's side. They uh, didn't. But so I am descended from them. I grew up in Utah. I grew up. All my friends were Mormons. I didn't really know very much about other religions. I did associate with someone who was an evangelical, um, but I didn't really know much about him. He was kind of I hate to say it, but we kind of ridiculed him, you know, because he wasn't like us. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't really know much about other faiths and other religions. Um, one thing I kind of briefly touched on was the Mormon view of God. Um, there's a very, there's a, there's very much a hostility uh, of the Christian view of God. So if you ask a Mormon, they think that the Christian view of God is so corrupted and it's terrible, and they have a, a very bad mischaricature of it, where you know God's talking to himself, right? So they, they, they think that when you explain the trinity or when you talk about the, the trinity a mormon they think that the father son and holy spirit when you refer to the trinity means that they're the same person and they're kind of like ventriloquisting to each other or something okay. like that that's what they right. think christians believe um other things like that and so i, I was kind of very much brought up with this idea that all of the outside churches are wrong they have these false views. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, we hated them or anything. And we thought that they had a lot of good in them and a lot of truth, but mm -hmm. they didn't have the fullness of truth and that they were deceived in a lot of ways and had some false beliefs. And um, so that's kind of how I grew up. Um, I grew up 
believing that and being going to church every Sunday, being involved with my church uh, very heavily. Mormons are very involved in it. They have activities throughout the week where the youth will go on. Usually it's a Tuesday or Wednesday. They'll get together and they'll for a couple hours and they'll devote time to studying and to doing activities together within the church. And then we'll go on like mission trip, like not mission trips, but like we'll go out on a, I don't know what you call them, but you take the youth out and you go on out camping and then you have spiritual experiences and right. kind of stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah. Um, grew up doing that, grew up believing it, not questioning it, um, having a, a strong faith in it and really much relying on it. And one thing uh, Mormons are really well known for is they have a very strong missionary tendency hmm. where they expect their young men um, when they hit around 18 or 19 to um, go on what they call a mission for two years. They devote two years of their life where they um, put aside their regular life away and they um, get called to, they get assigned to various parts around the world to go and preach Mormonism and to get converts. <clears throat> and they follow a very strict set of rules. So I was growing up my whole life expecting to do that. And, to, um, and so I've always kind of looked forward to doing that. Um, and so I did, I, when I hit, when I turned 18, I got my mission call and I've always been, uh, fascinated with England. Uh, my ancestors came over from there. Um, the, the, the early Mormons, they, their first mission they did was they went over to England and they, um, brought people over, converted them. And that's the vast majority of Mormon converts actually came from England, which is kind of mm -hmm interesting mm. and they crossed the plains over to utah so my ancestors actually came from around around york i guess and so i was quite fascinated with england so i actually wrote on my papers because you get random you get assigned and the belief there is that the the mormon leadership these apostles and the the leader of them their prophet um they receive revelation of where you're supposed to go so that's the Mormon belief there. Okay. And so you get assigned to a random place in the world. I wrote on my papers, and most people don't do this, but I did it because I wanted to go to England. I wrote on my papers, hey, I'd like to go to England if that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> Just as kind of a, a passing comment. And they called me to England. I was very pleased with that. Great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, Caleb, just to, um, so in terms of what we see in, kind of in the UK on the ground then from the Mormon church, the people who we might walk past in the street or may knock on your door with the name tags on, that mm -hmm. was yourself. And yes, those people have been assigned, according to the Mormon belief, through the revelation of the prophets and apostles. So they've mm -hmm. it's been revealed to them where to assign people. That's how they end up on the streets, as it were. Yes. Okay. So there's very much, God is very much involved in everything that's going on. So God sent you there for, in this, in your missionary kind of mind, God sent you there for a purpose. He sent you there to, um, teach certain people that um, that he's prepared, right? And so there's very much that thing. And so I, you know, it it's really it's really a unique feeling when you live in that. And then you want to go to England. You have these dreams to go there, and then you get sent there, and it's like, wow, God yeah. really listening to me is really. So I don't know. It, it is a really, yeah. So um, yeah, they basically do believe that that there's a very strong God's guiding you he's mm. he's he's leading you to where you're supposed to go so on, on a scale of one to ten caleb how disappointed were you when you got off the plane 
Like, what are they saying? <laughs> They're speaking so fast. <laughs> so wet. Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't really disappointed. I was, uh, I was a bit surprised um, uh, how, because I got sent to Birmingham. So that was where I first, well, I mean, I didn't first land there. They, they flew me to Manchester and they have a training facility there that I went to. Yeah. Do they really? Um, I had no yeah. idea. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's okay, impressive. Cool. If, uh, but anyway, I, uh, I got uh, sent there. And my first experience, because they flew us in, I got to go to an airport. And then they took us in a, a, a van and they drove, a, drove us to the miss, missionary facility. So I didn't really get to see England very well until about a week into it. They let us go to Manchester, the central, and they were going to let us practice talking to people evangelizing them mm-hmm. so i got dropped in the middle of manchester and i haven't really experienced big cities i mean i've been to a couple in america but i just i was just so surprised how multicultural it was. Mm. yeah <laughs> um utah is very much uh europe white european yeah um so you don't really get to see a lot of multiculturalism especially because it's all mormon so i right. i was expecting to see um i don't know i, I had a different misconception or a different conception yeah. of what yeah. england would look yeah. like I, I mean that started i started to see what i thought england looked like when i got to go to the countryside and stuff but yeah the big city definitely threw me off i was like where am i <laughs> but i love manchester such a great city that's yeah. cool okay so then you're to really birmingham cool. um yes so uh two weeks uh, i spent two weeks in this missionary training facility uh one thing i kind of want to briefly talk about was uh, how um, missionaries are supposed to live it's very strict so they assign you to a companion so you're stuck with a companion this entire two years they rotate them so you're not with the same person two years but you have to be with this companion and you can't ever leave their site except to go shower and go to the bathroom you have to sleep together you have to study together not in the same bed that's mm-hmm. clarify there. <laughs> but <laughs> um so yes, you have to you have to sleep in the same room. You have to study in the same room. You have to eat in the same room. You have to always be together. You can't ever leave each other's sight except to go to the bathroom. And um, so you're stuck with this companion at all times. You have to follow these rules. Um, we're not allowed to read certain books outside of what um, is allowed. So they have a list of books we're allowed to read, which are basically the scriptures, our manuals to help us teach, mm-hmm. and some other theological works written by Mormon apostles that we're allowed to read. Okay. Um, we're not allowed to listen to music that isn't uplifting that isn't spiritual music um okay. we're not allowed to listen or watch movies that aren't published by the church during this time so it's very much restricted mm. very much um we're get we're, we have to wear a suit well you know white shirt we can't wear we can't wear any other color of shirt yeah. wear a tie i mean we can we can have different colors of ties thankfully so we can have some personality <laughs> <laughs> and did, at, at the start code, did this feel like restrictions to you did it feel like you were being stopped yes it was so here's the thing when you're growing up these are this is so common i mean most men in the active men in the mormon church when you go to church have been on missions so this is so common you know what the rules are yeah. you're kind of built you're kind of prepared for it you know what it is but it is such a different experience actually living it mm. and quite frankly and most people I talk to, it's, it's pretty miserable. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, uh, even if you talk to any Mormon, uh, who's still a, a, a very strong active believer. And when you ask them about their mission, they tend to say it was the best two years of my life, but it was also the hardest. 
they always say that that's that's so yeah. common um because they, they view themselves you know you're giving a lot of yourself you're you're restricted so much so it's very miserable and they tend to find a lot of meaning in that misery that they're doing it for god they're doing it for the church and so then they say oh yeah this is kind of the best <clears throat> so yeah these really strict rules you're stuck with someone the entire time <clears throat> and then they they divided the uk into different districts and so my my mission district was birmingham which was kind of just the midlands to that half bottom of wales Aberystwyth was mm. the most top of it <clears throat> so i got sent uh yeah to birmingham and uh got assigned my companion there and then they it was in Aberystwyth, so that was my first area okay <laughs> so so you come from Utah to Manchester to Birmingham to Aberystwyth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is essentially a village in the middle of Wales. Uh-huh. Hours to get to. That's <laughs> culture, culture shock at its finest, isn't it? It was. All the accents you must have gone through, Caleb. From the Brummies to the Welsh. Goodness. It was, it was pretty rough. I'm not going to lie. It was. <laughs> I, I could not understand very many i could understand like you know if i could slow slowly talk to them but mm. did yeah. you know did you know about the welsh language before arriving there i had no idea about the welsh language uh my companion he picked me up we actually had a car most missionaries don't get a car there's only three areas in that mission that had cars out of like 20 or 30 and i got assigned one with a car because it's so rural and big and yeah. so i guess they decided to give us a car everyone else has bikes or has to take the bus so yeah, I got assigned this area, and we were driving on the the freeway. <laughs> what do you guys call it? <laughs> Motorway. That's what the, it was called. The, pedals, the, yeah. the mud truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're driving down the, the motorway, or whatever you call it, and uh, getting to Wells, and I start seeing this, this unintelligible language. I describe <laughs> at the time. Just so many consonants put together. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry but about you know he tells me that's welsh and yeah. that people speak it kind of there not yeah. i mean most people speak english but some yeah. people speak it and so yeah. uh yeah it was, it was okay. very weird it was really yeah, cool yeah. though i really enjoyed it can, can i just ask you because now we're getting to kind of where you arrive in Aberystwyth with your uh missionary partner is it what is what was the explanation or kind of justification for always having to be with that other person from like the Mormon church? Why was it you had to always have someone with you? You know, now I think back on it and it's just, it's almost like a tradition, like an unquestioned tradition is how now I'm, I, I guarantee you, and I have my speculations on why they do this. but being a a member and growing up in it, most people kind of think, Oh, that's kind of, that's how he's always done it, you know, two by two. So the, mainly we look at the scripture in uh, the gospels where Matthew says, I want you guys to go two by two to the different towns in Israel, take no staff with you, take no this, take no that. And so a lot of that is, is read in light of that. Like, Oh, we're following what Jesus told us to do. We, we nice. go two by two. Of course, in the gospels though, you don't get those specific rules that they must always be together, but there's that kind of idea in the Bible where it's like, uh, two witnesses, right? We have to have two witnesses, you know, um, 
so there's kind of that justification given there. Um, there's some more practical justification. So a lot of people will say, um, well, you have these 18, 19, 20 year old boys with each other. If you let them go off and do their own thing, they're going to mess around and mm. cause trouble. So they yeah. got to stay together, keep each other accountable kind of yeah. thing, yeah. Okay. keep each other working. So that's kind of the idea behind it. Um, uh, there is, I, I think there's also some psychological elements going there. And probably some Mormons would disagree with me, but I think that being stuck with someone the entire time doesn't give you any room to kind of breathe or think for yourself. It keeps you really drawn into it. You have to be acting a certain way and being a certain way because you're always with yeah. somebody. Yeah. So in my opinion, I think there's a lot of uh, psychological manipulation going there. Okay. Maybe not a lot, but there is some, I think. Anyway, that's cool. kind of how they view it yeah yeah okay so i guess we're at the point now where um <laughs> where we meet you where uh, phil and i meet you in Aberystwyth. yes <laughs> this is the yeah so um yes so i don't think i met you guys for like a couple months it's of me being okay. there it was like a couple months of me being there so normally what me and my uh, companion would do is we would uh you have Aberystwyth kind of like you know uh down by the seaport and then there's that hill that goes up that mm -hmm. university um and most of the people that would talk to us are the students like no one else would talk to us right so if you <laughs> stood in the city center everyone's walking to somewhere you know so like those those uh those streets are all this is kind of something that's different than america because america is just like those they're just squares with these tall skyscrapers yeah. and then everyone's in cars so you have these huge roads where everyone's in cars but in i've noticed kind of in england and aberystwyth specifically you have these really narrow streets that tons of people walk on and there's tons mm -hmm. of people uh walking through it and it's really hard to get people to stop there because they're all walking somewhere and kind of faster or whatever. It's really hard and awkward to stop someone there because you stop someone, then you cause this kind of block to everyone walking. <laughs> so no one likes to stop. Yeah. And so uh, most of the time uh, we would go, there's, there's that like sidewalk that goes up that hill that tons mm -hmm. of students would walk by and they would more likely to stop if we stopped them and talked to them. We try and get their phone numbers. And we would, after that, we would try and give them lessons. And so what, basically how the, mission, the Mormon protocol goes is uh, we, we stop somebody, we, we get their number, and then we give them a, a lesson. And then we hope to continue lessons and eventually get them to get faith and then have them baptized into Mormonism and become a Mormon. And so um, that's basically what we were trying to do there. And I think you guys are already in contact with the missionaries and talking to them. But I do remember um, me and my companion walking up, and I think it was you, Ben, I'm not sure, so. that was walking down from that hill, and we stopped you, and my companion knew you, and we're like, oh, when are we going to go talk to each other and have dinner or something like that? And I think that's yeah. my first experience meeting you. Yeah. Um, and I think that's and how I met you guys. I think on that hill was how I met the, the, the previous guy as well. So I yeah, think it, yeah. Because I think you met the previous guy. You didn't. It might have been some time but since you talked to them, but yeah, yeah. They talked to you again and then they're like, Yeah. And then yeah. um I remember you inviting us over 
for mm -hmm. pizza. He made us some homemade pizza. Oh, that's nice. Oh, you're yeah. good, aren't you, Ben? I don't remember that. <laughs> remember that's a lot that. of effort. I, I remember that. And then you jokingly, I don't know if you were joking or if you didn't know, but you offered me a beer or us a beer. And we're like, oh, I can't have that. <laughs> I can promise you, Ben joke. was not joking. <laughs> it probably no wasn't. cultural sensitivity. <laughs> yeah. So like, you can't, is it caffeine you can't have? You can't have caffeine either. Is that right? It's technically not. So Mormons, they're not allowed to drink. Uh, so alcohol, they're not uh -huh. allowed to drink coffee or tea. Okay. So there's some kind of, there's a rationalization there where it's like, well, what's in tea and coffee that is bad? Because the idea is like alcohol is bad. It leads to drunkenness and, mm -hmm. and it can damage your body and liver. Because the whole idea is in context of where that idea comes from. It's, a, it's in Mormon scripture is revelation. And it's the idea is it harms your body. And so it's like, where does coffee and tea harm your body? And so there's been various rationalizations like caffeine, caffeine harms right. it, but it's actually okay. not because most Mormons here, they'll drink their Mountain Dew and Dr. Pepper that has ca okay. caffeinated okay. sodas. Yeah. Whereas you do have a, a good, it's, it's a sizable minority of Mormons who won't drink those. And so if, if you actually go to the Mormon University in Utah, Brigham Young University, BYU, um, they, it might just be one campus one of the campuses there they don't sell caffeinated soda right on, wow. on campus so it is kind of there's something there with caffeine but it's not technical so you okay. can drink caffeine. Okay, okay. cool right yeah 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 so yeah I, I i do remember yeah you made us some homemade pizza and you offered us some alcohol <laughs> and then we had a heated discussion fantastic <laughs> <laughs> night with ben that is yep. <laughs> And that was the first time I met Phil too. He was sitting on the couch. Nice. As always. I was, um, at this time, I was only in Aberystwyth. I think this was when I was there. Yeah, yeah, I was only there like once a week. I used to come, I used to get, it was quite nice actually. I used to get on the bus and the only bus would get me there for about midnight. So uh, I had a key to Ben's flat, bit of extra info here, bit of background news. And I would go in, I'd let myself into Ben's house and go in, we'd kip together until the morning and I would go and do my lectures and then I would come and hang out for the night. So we would try, we would hang out with you then. So um, when mm -hmm. I got back just before I was going to leave usually. So, um, yeah, so that's how we met as well. Exciting times. It is. Yes. And I just, cause you're the first ones that really kind of interacted with us. Everyone I talked to, I get some interaction. We had some people we were teaching that were talking. One of the guys was close to becoming a Mormon. He didn't though. He, he, that summer he left university and went and started partying, I guess. And then he came back. He's like, nah, I don't want it. <laughs> but um, uh, you guys were the first ones that actually kind of interacted with us and talked to us. And, and I mean, it, 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 there was some negativity there. There was some <laughs> argumentation and, and that's totally fine. Um, at the time though, I was a little like, oh man, they just don't understand. They don't get it. Yeah. I'm, and I really was like, I want to help them get it. Like I want to help people who just think Mormonism is one way or whatever. I want to see it, let them see it how I see it. Cause I'm, I was a true believer. I really thought I had the truth that no one could tell me otherwise, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I guess this is where I get to where I changed my mind. <clears throat> Great. So I think we had a couple meetings with you with my first companion there. And, uh, I think we, yeah, we were trying to show you guys videos. We were trying to show you all the stuff, but for some reason, man, it just wouldn't convince you. 
and uh, <laughs> and my companion, um, it came time for him to get transferred to a new area. So he got transferred to a new area, and I got a new companion. And um, I was with him for a little while. And it's been a while since we saw you guys. And when I was with him, we would have some discussions about uh, Mormon doctrine. Mm-hmm. And going back to what Joseph Smith said about God, um, how God wasn't always God. He was once a man like us and he became God and we can follow in those footsteps. I started really thinking about this and it's never bothered me before because I I was aware of it. I taught it. I just never thought deeply about it. And I started thinking about it. And it was provoked by this discussion I had with him where he thought, and most Mormons actually don't believe this. He had some weird views, but he thought that um, he would, uh, when he got his own uh, universe or planet or whatever you say, that he would uh, die like Jesus Christ did and perform an atonement for his own people. Right. And I was sitting there like, it just did not sit right with me. I did not like that. I just, I tried arguing with him, but I, I didn't have any arguments against him, you yeah. know, cause he, he had, he knew more than I did, I guess. And that's not a view Mormons hold. It was just something that he kind of held to or a reference to. And I, so I, I got this idea. I was like, I'm going to go read the Bible and all the scriptures during my study time. I'm just going to sit and I'm just going to read it and I'm going to yeah. make him wrong or something like that. This yeah. is what I was doing. So I, I picked up the New Testament and I read through it. I started with Paul and his, his, uh, he started talking about our resurrection bodies in first Corinthians 15. And he made a reference to, or Paul talks about how our flesh puts on incorruption. So we become, our bodies become incorruptible. They become mm-hmm. immortal, those kind of yeah. things in the resurrection. And I was like, Bro, how do you, because in Mormon idea, it's similar to Christianity. When Jesus comes again, the dead will be resurrected and we'll receive those immortal bodies. And I was like, and so I, I, in my mind, I was like, how do you account for this? If you're going to become your own savior of another world, how are you going to die for your people if you've received a resurrected body? You know? Okay. So it's like, yeah. And so I, to me, I just like, that is nonsense. And I don't know. Like, and then I started thinking about it more. I'm like, why, why does God, if we're all going to become gods. And so that kind of led to more discussion because I read in the, I was reading in the new Testament and it has the strong view of God and, and Jesus. And I felt growing up that I had a strong view of God and Jesus that I, I loved them and I wanted to be, I wanted, I wanted to follow them. And I was just sitting there and I was like, what does this teaching do? It, it, it takes God and Jesus and it makes them common. It, it takes right. them. And with what my companion was doing there is he was saying that, oh, I'm just going to be the same as Jesus. I'm going to go die for a world and millions and billions of others are. And even though, you know, most Mormons don't believe it and I didn't have to believe it. And that wasn't any official theology. In fact, if you probably talk to most Mormons, they would say that that's, that's not, that's, that's false or that's, heresy or something like that um but i it just it just didn't sit well with me because even if that's not true every other guy every other man is a is can just be a god like where we're all just the same there's no source of this 
where's the ultimate source? Who's the ultimate God? Who's the ultimate, what's the ultimate reality? And this just didn't really sit well with me. And it really bothered me. And when I, when I read the Bible, cause that's what I started reading first. I was just so, um, uh, bothered by this. And, and then I'll, I'll get to where I talk to you guys. And, and this is really good, but I went through Joseph Smith's teaching on this and I was, they really like hurt me. I don't know how to explain it. Like I loved my religion. I loved all that, but I would just read this teaching on it. And it just, it, it was like offensive to my soul. I don't know how to explain it. I just mm. was like, why, why would I worship this being that hasn't always been God? That's not consistent. How do I know in the future he ceases to be God? How do I know all these things? Like, and I reached out to my leader, the mission president. He's the president over, he's the authority over the entire missionaries. And I reached out to him and I asked him, and I was like, well, what do you think about the, um, Joseph Smith's words on this? Uh, his famous passage is given in a certain sermon. And so he talked to me about this and he is like, oh, there's actually some uh, dis disputing of that. It was recorded by three different people at the time there. And they're not all the same account. And I was like, oh, wow. And so I wanted to read all of them. Because mm -hmm. uh, I thought in my mind, Joseph Smith couldn't have taught this. This must have been something he missed out on. And so yeah. I was like, oh, maybe one of those three accounts omits this. And it was something they added in. And so I got excited and he get, he sent it to me. He gave it to me and I went down and I read them all. And they basically, I mean, there were some discrepancies between, but they all taught the same thing. Right. And I was yeah. so like broken over that. Mm. And wow. I was just in my mind trying to make Mormonism work for me. Like, how do I, how do I make this work? And I kept telling myself, oh, I don't have to believe this. Like, it's just an opinion or whatever. I don't have to believe this. And um, that companion left and I got my third companion. Um, he came over and I think, I don't know how we got into it, but um, we're supposed to be having certain numbers. Like we're supposed to be teaching a certain, a, a good amount of lessons during a day and getting these numbers. And so we were low on these numbers. And so I was like, mm -hmm. well, I'll just call those two guys. I mean, we can just have a lesson with them. You can chat to them. Yeah. And so I did, I, I think I texted you guys and said, Hey, you guys want to have a lesson? And then you say, sure. And so I, we came over and it was my first time with him being over there with you guys. Cause I've been over there a couple of times with that first companion, maybe once with the second one, maybe not. I can't remember. But with the third one, I remember the first time we, we come on over there. And I'm, I'm going through this inner turmoil with this view. And mm. I'm, I'm basically, uh, uh, I'm, I'm reconciling it by saying, oh, I don't have to believe that. That just might be a, a misstated teaching. And I went to certain scriptures in the Old Testament and even in the Book of Mormon, because early Mormonism shared that view that said there's only, you know, there's only the one God. He's always been God. He's God from everlasting to everlasting. Yeah. You are God. Um, and so I had that rationalization in my mind where it's like, no, the scriptures take precedent over these other sayings. And so I was sitting there with you guys and the discussion we were talking about, I mean, we're talking about multiple things. Um, mm -hmm. I was talking to Phil and mm -hmm. <laughs> Ben was talking to my companion <laughs> and Ben and my companion were arguing. Oh, over <laughs> <laughs> I remember this. They were arguing over the historicity of the book of Mormon. Yes. You I think, I think this it. is the—is this the companion that referred? Never, he didn't call me Ben. He referred to me as him quite a lot. 
Yeah, he didn't like you. <laughs> he did not like you. Um, but yeah, he was, you guys were arguing about the historicity of the Book of Mormon. You were like uh-huh. saying, hey man, atheists will take a Bible and they'll look at it and they'll say part of it is historical. Your book, no one can say it. Yeah, I was, it was hilarious. You guys were just going at it. And he, and his, and I remember him defending it. He was, he was saying that, oh, the Bible has that problem too. Like that's all he was saying in mm. response to it. But me and Phil were actually having a pleasant conversation. <laughs> actually having um, a constructive conversation. Exactly. Thank, we were. thank you, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> we're having a, a pleasant conversation on God. And I was trying to tell you, I was trying to say, because in my mind, this was just going off on me. Like, oh, I need to talk about, um, yeah, I believe in God. I believe he's eternal. I believe all these things. And it wasn't like you were asking me about, oh, who you guys believe God is once a man. It was me that was like trying to talk out at you about it, like trying to <laughs> rationalize. I don't know how to explain it. I'm just trying to wow. rationalize my, I believe this man, like, let me tell you. <laughs> and, uh, and I think Ben jumped in a couple of times, um, but you guys were talking about how, yeah, there's only one God and God, you know, the, there's the Trinity, the three persons and, and God, the son, you know, he from all eternity was always God and he was so much greater than us. And he created all things, but through his love, his, his, his eternal um, divine love, he decided to become like one of us and bring himself down to our level and to die for us and to save us. And that hit me so hard. Like, <laughs> just the, that's what I wanted. Like, I was sitting in my inner turmoil, like, I want to worship God. I, you know, I can't. Hmm. worship a god like how mormonism describes it. I, that's just not what seems right to me the scriptures don't seem to support that and when you guys were talking about that and telling me about that it, it's something i just longed for and i i just couldn't say anything else and and bill <laughs> looked at me and he said you like the trinity richardson don't you <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't know what to say to that. I was like, I can't like the Trinity. I can't like, I was just sitting there saying that I couldn't, but in my mind, I didn't say anything though. I think I just smiled and was like, I guess I do. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a very, is is one of the most powerful moments of my life. I would say that, that mm-hmm. moment there and just the dwelling on it. Um, uh, after that, uh, we left. And it was dark, it was late at night, and we we're walking down. And all I could think was, man, I wish I was born into a, a Christian home. I wish I wasn't born wow. a Mormon. I, I don't, it, it was, it was sadness after that. <laughs> like I had mm. the sadness where I was just so sad. I was like, I was like born into this. And I didn't exactly like lose my faith there directly. I just, I don't know. It's just, I didn't really think, pull everything together. And slowly over the weeks, I started thinking about it. And I thought to myself, because my rationalization, I was like, no, if a guy's going out and teaching that God is this certain way that completely contradicts everything else, it's so clear in the New Testament, false prophets will arise among you and they will lead you astray and they will do these things. And so I just was like, yeah, we can rationalize this all away. But in reality, what is what is it? It's it's a man, Joseph Smith, who came 1800 years after Jesus, claimed to have revelations and said God was a certain way that contradicted 
Christian tradition and history and the scriptures. And I finally came to terms saying, yeah, Joseph Smith, it seems that he's a false prophet. Mm. Wow. And uh, I decided I needed to do more research on this. And so I, I pulled some money away. My, my third companion, he, he wasn't a, necessarily a rule follower. We weren't allowed to have phones or this kind of thing. And I went out and I bought a phone. And I was able to do some research. I was able to buy data for it and just look up things. And I did a lot of deep research. And <laughs> I was actually pleasantly surprised to find out there were a lot of problems with Mormonism that I've never heard of. Like It wasn't like, it, you know, you read up on it. And it's like, oh, there's actually historical evidence for the Book of Mormon. No, mm-hmm. most scholars and most, most uh, uh, everyone else, when they analyze this, who aren't faithful believing Mormons and tons of faithful believing Mormons who have analyzed it have left. And they've said, it's clear that the Book of Mormon doesn't have any ancient roots in it. It plagiarizes much of the Bible. It has much of the concepts of Joseph Smith's time. It doesn't have very many ancient kind of ideas. I mean, for crying out loud, when you read the Book of Mormon, they're talking about baptizing people. And Jesus is going to come in 500 years. When you read the Old Testament, it's like Israel will be restored. The Messiah is, you know, it's, it's very mm. vague. It's very that kind mm. of way. Jesus is that revelation. He comes suddenly and unexpectedly to in the New Testament. He his resurrection and those kind of things. They they're unexpected by his disciples. And you get that feeling when you read the New Testament that he unexpectedly fulfills these things. It's this new thing that God did. But in the Book of Mormon, it's writing. It's obviously writing from hindsight of that revelation in the New Testament, where it's predicting 700 years that a woman named Mary would give birth to Jesus that he would do all these things. Whereas in the, the Old Testament, it's much more vague. There are, I, I do believe there are specific prophecies in the Old Testament regarding it, but we live in the benefit of hindsight. Mm. And we're able to read back in our Old Testament and say, oh yeah, Jesus fulfilled that. Um, but it's not obviously clear if that makes sense. When we, If you don't have your Christian revelation, if you're just a, a second century Jew reading your Old Testament and you you're like, well, what's the Messiah going to be like? And you can say some things and some vague things, but you don't know for sure. And that's, I think that's why there's a lot of surprise on the New Testament, and the, the 12 apostles and the disciples, why they look at it and they're like, oh yeah. Like they're like, because mm. Jesus is always telling me, you don't understand. You don't get it. I need to go and die on the cross. And they're like, no, you can't do that. And so, yeah, there's all these problems with the book of Mormon, the book of Abraham that I wasn't aware of that I was told not to read. It was anti-Mormon literature. I wasn't allowed to read that. And now mm. that I kind of broke off those shackles and wanted to explore it more, I it was, yeah, I, I read it. And I was just, I was pleasantly surprised, not just surprised, pleasantly surprised that I didn't have to be like, oh, I guess there is evidence and it is true and I'm stuck with mm. it. And, but no, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> that really? was my experience. That's really exciting. It is. And um, I guess, I, I mean, a lot on the podcast, we talk about changing our minds and often we talk about trivial things or or political things or things that ultimately don't have much of an impact. But obviously this, like you're saying, is it's a com- start beginning of a complete shift in your worldview. How, I just want to get into a bit of like kind of the fallout from how your life changed, changed from there and maybe things that, improved things that you found really difficult about that change yeah so it's it's i would consider it the biggest change in my life uh going from a faith transition is, is especially when you're it's not like 
you nominally grow up in a certain faith and then your professor uh, says, oh yeah, people come up with explanations for lightning and say that that's God, but we found out science has prevailed, mm. right? And then the nominal kind of person who went to church on Christmas or whatever is kind yeah. of like, yeah, man, that makes sense, you know? Yeah. And they kind of just are like, whatever. There's not really that transition there, but I was, I, I lived and breathed and all my friends were Mormons. I went to church every Sunday. I studied it. I was a part of it. I was giving my life to it. I was on my mission. And so there was a huge change there that I think fundamentally changed me. And I, I would say that I think in my belief, God was there. He was guiding me that he, he did send me to where I was supposed to be, that I would receive, I would hear the, the message. Mm. Of, of of god's message that, and i believe that in that moment jesus was revealing himself to me god was revealing himself to me um he through that through that experience and so i kind of see things in light of that um what, a couple things that it, it really did for me um positively is it, it led me to uh, a desire a, a desire for knowledge for learning mm-hmm. and wanting to go out and read and understand because so much of my beliefs are i have to reevaluate them like what do i think of the afterlife what about the pre-existence mormons believe our souls pre-exist now i have to reevaluate that because mm-hmm. i don't necessarily believe joe smith is a prophet anymore and so i have to reevaluate that i have to reevaluate um heaven and hell mormons mm-hmm. believe that there are that hell is only for a certain amount of people like a really small amount of people who reject things and then everyone else goes to a good place. And then the people who are the best go to become gods. And I had to reevaluate that and read the Bible and try and figure out what scholars say about it and what it is. And just so many things, I, I, everything almost, because every, there's so many different, there's like similarities where you talk about, Oh yeah, we believe in God and Jesus, but everything, when you take off that uh, layer of similarity, everything underneath is different. And so I had to reevaluate that and I had mm. to go through and um, relearn these things. And it gave me desire. And, and, and in fact, that's what I'm doing at university. I, I'm getting my degree in classics so I can learn Greek. Uh, that was mainly my desire to uh, study the New Testament at an academic level. And uh, so um, so those are some positive changes. And uh, spiritually, I, I feel a lot of things like um, I've seen myself get better or uh, actually see improvement because mm. I actually have a, a love for God. Um, things that I struggled with as a, as a, as a Mormon or, or as a, as a young man, like temptations and, and certain sins and things because God was converting me. And it, st- I, I still believe he's in the process of converting, me, bringing me closer. Um, I've seen a real change in my life and my behavior, how I've become better I, I feel like grace has is working like it's a thing that's real and that it mm. it's really changing me for the better and, and and so yeah just kind of those things have very much positively influenced my life and not only that but the, the awesome friendships that have come about as i've kind of moved around and talked to other people mm. other christians and and you guys it was great meeting you and and th- those have just been such positive elements of this that I wouldn't trade for the world. Um, on the other hand, there, there is a bunch of negativity that does occur. Um, especially when you leave a high maintenance religion, um, that 
you, you spend a lot of time in and that you're uh, just all of this uh, time and devotion and money. because I mean, Mormons pay 10% of their income to the church. Mm-hmm. It's part of the, uh, the deal for being a, a full righteous Mormon. And so we invest all this time in it and no one I knew because growing up, no one converts from Mormonism to anything else. Like that's so unheard of. Everyone, if you're a Mormon and you leave it, you tend to become like an agnostic or, or whatever, an atheist or something else. You don't really convert to another religion. I just never heard of that. And so it was very odd. And it, it was off putish. I was kind of embarrassed about it Mm. for a while there. Um, and I had no idea what to do, especially I'm in the middle of my mission and I'm trying to figure these things out. I have no idea what to do. And I kept going back and forth. I, I, I eventually settled on because I got moved around the country. I got moved to Darby and um, I was there for a while and I didn't know what to do. And I was like, well, uh, what maybe what I should do is just pretend to keep doing this. And because mm-hmm. number one, if you come home early on your mission in Mormon culture, it's 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 a bad sign like that's you're you're shamed upon a lot of people think you did something sexually immoral when when you come home early right um and it's it's a it's like being in the army and being discharged early for bad service basically is what yeah. people think it says but to the more extreme the more religious extreme and so there's some shame there and i didn't want to experience that shame number one number two i didn't want to experience the the horrible, the anxiety I had of telling my parents I wasn't part of the faith mm-hmm. anymore and all my friends and everyone I knew back home, like it was, it was, I was so worried about that. And so I initially settled on the idea of like, well, maybe what I should do is um, uh, just stake it out, just keep going with it until I go home and then slowly fade away from it. And then people won't be so surprised and yeah. that's initially what i decided to do but through my studies i i kept remember remembering or reading what jesus said it just stuck with me um you must hate father mother brother sister for my sake and i mean jesus there isn't obviously saying literally hate your mm. your family what he's saying there is you must prioritize the things of god above the things of this world and mm. your family even if it comes to it that um, God's ultimately more important. And so that really made an impact on me where it's like, well, I'm living a lie. I'm not doing, uh, I'm not being honest with everybody. And even if I lose my family over this, I need to be honest with them and tell them what's going on. And so I did, I sent an email to my parents and I told them that I lost my faith in Mormonism and I want to go join another church and, be a Christian. And they were very heartbroken over it. Um, Mm -hmm. I I left, I did go home. Um, And they took it very well, I think, than most people would. And some of my, uh, uh, a lot of my relatives, they were kind of weirded out by it. It was so odd. They didn't know how to talk to me or talk. So there was some awkwardness there. And a lot of that has healed now. And most people, I'm on very good terms with my family. And so it's all worked out in the end, which has mm. been awesome. And mm. so, and so, yeah, it's been, it's yeah. been good. There is that kind of sadness of not being able to be on the same religious as my parents. Like when we go yeah. to eat dinner together, 
they'll say their prayers and I won't pray with them, you know, and yeah, just stuff like that. And so there's kind of awkward or whenever we try to talk about the afterlife, I mean, there's some tension there and yeah. other things. And so there is that sadness I do have for there. And I, I would hope that eventually maybe they would see things my way. Mm. I'm sure they think the same thing. <laughs> then I'll come back. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's it's so I mean it was obviously a really brave thing to do and I think it's just a really yeah, like an admirable example of kind of pursuing something you felt you wanted to find the truth about and and making a really difficult decision that involved those such negative feelings and potentially potentially for your life like catastrophic negative stuff from it and then it's great that it's it's been able to to work out positively now but that initial decision was i mean you had no idea how it's going to go at that point and actually what you held to be true or, or not true was was really important in that case so it's, i think mm -hmm. yeah brave yeah it was it was a very trying time <laughs> so yeah but i'm grateful for it and yeah Great. Big change of mind. Yeah. Phil, have you got any more questions? Just very quickly, how did the Mormon church itself respond, Caleb? When you said, I've, say, lost my faith in Mormonism, how did the Mormon church respond? Did they kind of quiz you on it? Were they kind of like, okay, fair enough, you can come off mission and go? Did they kind of pursue you at all? How did that go? Uh, I think for the most part, I had good experiences. So there's a lot of channels of authority you have to go through. Um, I, my mission president, I went back and forth on him because I kept being like, oh, maybe I should stay or maybe I should go. And he got, he got a little frustrated with me there. And he eventually made an ultimatum with me. He's like, you need to hand over all your anti-Mormon literature and basically shut up about it and do your thing if you want to stay. And I was like, nah, I, I need to go. And so um, uh, he, he had an interview with me and it wasn't very pleasant. He used some harsh words with me. Um, uh, basically emphasizing that what I was throwing away was the truth. And I was, it wasn't, it was damnable, you know, it was a terrible thing to do. Mm. And it, it wasn't a very pleasant conversation on my end. I get where he's coming from because in his mind, this is the truth. And what I'm doing here is I'm throwing away something very important and, salvation itself in his, in his view so i understand where he's coming from but just talking with me in that way where it was hostile and it wasn't very productive and it, it's very I, I was very anxious about it and over it because i haven't really had that experience <laughs> but yeah. it, it, anyway so we had that um after that he was mostly gracious to me i I was very cold shoulder to him though. Like he would try and be nice to me. And I was like, eh, sorry, man, I'm not, I don't think you're my friend or whatever, but mm. <laughs> uh, they, they were gracious. It wasn't like I had to go buy my own ticket. The, the Mormon church did pay for my ticket home, which was very nice of them. Okay. Uh, they, um, I had to get released if that makes sense. So like as a missionary, they ordained me. So they put their hands on my head and they say a prayer and it, gives me a status and then they had to take it away and so i had to do that i let him do it or whatever because they persisted and the the leader because 
so Mormons over the congregations, they have what they call a bishop who leads the congregation. And over that, they have an area, which is called a stake. And then they have a stake president who leads that stake president had to release me. And so I talked to him, he, he released me. Um, and then he kind of, he was nice to me about it. And I just said, yeah, I'm not interested in being Mormon anymore. I want to go do my own thing. And he's just like, oh, okay, well, if you want to come back, we're here for you kind of thing. Yeah. So they, right. there, there have been a lot of bad experiences by other people, but I've been pretty lucky. I yeah. think I have some yeah. good people who kind of let me do my own thing and were understanding. So Great. they handle well, it pretty well. Yeah. yeah. That's why it's really is. It really is different, different kind of world to, to anything that we know. Um, yeah, that's great. Obviously, been a bit different uh, this episode. Just been, you know, talking about talking about this uh, change of mind. Um, I, I wonder, Clave, if you'd be up for it. It'd be great to have you back sometime, and maybe we get another Love little, love little special and chat about a bit more about these in- intricacies and differences of this uh, this yeah. world we don't know. That would be. I'd love to. I would definitely find that interesting. I, um, I definitely try and keep my foot in uh, Mormon like scholarship and beliefs. I mean, I live in Utah and I, I think, uh, I mean, I'm not going out and like evangelizing people, but if they, if I do get the opportunity, I'd like to share with yeah. them and talk yeah. to them. And so yeah. I, I try and keep my foot in the door and read what they're saying. And hmm. yeah, I'd love to, I, I yeah. always find it interesting. It's yeah, it's almost kind of like a, a Lord of the Rings, like the lore in it. Like you read Lord of the Rings and you get into like the orcs in the various cities and the history of <laughs> that and so you kind of get that with mormon theology you're like the gods and joseph smith and he's kind of it's kind of like a little fantasy world it's really interesting and fascinating to me because right that's just brought back a question in my mind i promise this is the last one because this is just to wrap it up from what you said earlier do we know where or, or does the mormon church have the golden plates that were translated because you said that you mentioned them earlier they've been found do they still have yeah, that so <laughs> this is very controversial um, oh, what happened? Open a can of wind, ever, yeah. Oh, you're good. I'll be really brief with it. Probably got overboard on. <laughs> but uh, um, yes, so he, he dug up these gold plates. No one saw them at that time. Uh, he put them in a box and he buried them or hid them out in the, the fields. And when he actually translated it, he didn't take the stone and like put it over the plates and read it that way. A lot of Mormons kind of think that way. They actually don't, earlier on, that was condemned. Like a lot of Mormons, early Mormon leaders condemned. He didn't use a seer stone. He didn't use a seer stone. It was only recently that they kind of admitted to it. And they've shown it. It's in the church vault they had in Salt Lake City. There are other historical items. Um, He actually took this stone and he had a white top hat. And he put the stone in the top hat and he'd look into it. So he'd cover his face uh, with the hat. And then the stone would glow with the words. And then he'd read those words off to his scribe. And that's how he translated the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon, the plates weren't actually in the, I know it sounds suspicious. I swear so it's not. He doesn't, but so they, <laughs> literally he's not translating the plates. He was reading it from the, the seer stone in the a white seer top stone hat. that he had that he put in the hat. Yeah, so he's reading off of that. And that's what became the Book of Mormon. He did, however, um, he did, however, have a box that they were supposedly in. He didn't let anyone look in it. So he said, if you look in it, God will kill you. <laughs> Um, I'll put yeah. You off. yeah and so it would and so or you would get punished i don't know exactly what he said but wow. don't look in it you're not supposed to so they didn't look in it um eventually joseph smith said i'll give you the opportunity to see the plates and so he selected three people 
who got to see them. And then um, I think seven others that got to briefly see him. And so when those three saw them, supposedly the angel appeared, had the plates and showed it to them. And they were able to see it and touch it. There's a lot of controversy, though, um, on that account, because later on, some of the, the, the people who said they saw them uh, said weird things like, oh, I saw it with my spiritual eyes or I saw it spiritually. And then other times uh, they say, no, it was real. I really saw it. And so um, scholars will debate back and forth on that. Uh, mm. But yeah, so, and then the angel, after he showed it to him, he took it into heaven. And that's uh, where they went. So they're in heaven. Yep. There's a lot of, uh, in my view, a lot of conveniences there. Well, I'll look forward to seeing them. <laughs> yeah, we can go into it more depth it, sometime. make it, yeah. Well, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us, Caleb. Uh, awesome. And Phil, thanks for coming again. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me, Ben. Great to see you all. Thanks for listening, guys. Well done for making it through. Uh, look forward to, you. I was going to say, seeing you next time. I won't see you. Bye. Bye. Bye.